right, everybody. Welcome to a new edition of the Quarcast. It's episode 13. I'm Owen Newkirk. A little farther away today than normal, Sean Shapiro, but we can still see each other the same, so no big deal. Uh, different, that, different, different time zones. Different time zones today. That's right. Yeah. In fact, that's why uh, we did not have a show last week was that my family and I were on the road. We were trying to do as uh, safe a COVID-19 pandemic travel as we could possibly do. So we packed in the car and drove a couple thousand miles over a few days to get to the great Northeast. So from Maine to Texas, it's actually from our house to my parents' house, Sean, 2,000 miles. And we did it all in a very long amount of driving. But if you can't enjoy the journey, what's the point of getting to the destination, what's, right? What, what's, what's, the, what's the hour ridge on that one? Uh, driving time, like, yeah, it's like just think, pure driving time. I think it's like 28. Okay. Yeah. It was. It, it depends because Waze says it's shorter. Uh, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps said it was like 30 hours. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of both. Um, Rush doesn't agree with that estimation. So <laughs> anyway, so here we are back. We, we were on the road. It was going to be impossible to try to do a rolling quarcast from the car last week. That would have been fun. I wanted to try it, but then I realized dogs, kids, and wife in the car... They didn't need to hear us talk for a couple hours. No, and, and you would have, and, and with the car format, it would have just, it may have been even longer than, than normal because we would have had nothing to stop us. Through. You would have had nothing to stop you from like, oh, well, I got to do this. It's like, I've got nowhere else to go. We're going. I mean, <laughs> so. maybe pause for like a kid's bathroom break, maybe, yeah. or gas yeah. up. But hey, Sean, let's mm-hmm. just keep on going. Yeah, yeah. What would have been really scary is if you and I took a road trip somewhere. Like that, because we could have done like a 15 hour car cast because we're in the car anyway. What's the mm-hmm. point? Like, why stop? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we ever the, did that, like if we ever did the that, tangents. if we ever did that, it would, we'd have to like kind of do it like live feed style. Cause yes. I don't, th- I think that's the only way people would be, no one's going to oh. stop and listen to it. And that would be, somebody would, I'll bet you, and, yeah. and I'll bet you somebody's going to tweet at us later that listens to the car cast regularly and says they'd be up for 15 hours of that. Probably <laughs> our buddy Oleg, who drove 14 hours to Michigan, so he probably would listen to the whole thing. But I don't think it would be uh, enough of a, an audience size to make that worthwhile. No, 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 no. <laughs> so we have a lot of news to catch up on from mm-hmm. the week we missed and also this week. So let's do our rapid-fire news segment. It, one yeah. of the things that began that was going to be a talking point last week that we didn't obviously have a show was the news that came out about Roman Polak, which you unearthed through a check media site and actually had to elicit help of a native speaker of the Czech language to make sure that you got the translations right. Yeah, so obviously it's a, so Roman Pollock has, and, and this is a story where there's still kind of some check-ins to see where this is going to go, but as of this, this kind of all surfaced on June 15th, so about 10, 11 days ago, where to, uh, so Roman Pollock has signed with, uh, one has signed with a, uh, with a Czech team over there in his hometown. He signed a three-year deal over there um, with the, so his, with the caveat of, there is a caveat in that signing where the team even put in the press release that Roman Polak, uh, this deal um, does not stop Roman Polak from completing his duties of his NHL contract. That being said, Roman told um, this Czech publication iSport CZ basically is what it is, and I'm no, there's a name in Czech too that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Oh come on, that, do it. <laughs> that 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 really, if he 
that if he really had to finish the NHL, he would go, but he would do everything in his power to make it unnecessary. Because he is, look at Roman, I mean, it's, it's not a crazy thought. Look at Roman Polak's situation. He is, he's, he is effectively signed a contract that says his NHL career is over. When the, the, he has, does Roman have two kids or three kids? I'm trying to remember how many Ooh, kids he has. But he, at least two. But he has yeah, at least two kids that are young. That are young. He'd have to leave them. He'd go to a bubble where he likely wouldn't play. Um, he almost certainly wouldn't play. Uh, he, he, he may play a game or two, but once the actual playoff game started, he wouldn't play. He would and, have to wait for an injury to get in the lineup. Exactly. Right. And 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 then on top of that, and he even said he even said this in the interview. One of the things to me that's one of the most telling things to him. It's a Stanley Cup that will feel illegitimate no matter who wins. Which is crazy. That's interesting and, to hear a player say that, though. Yeah. But so, but if that's his mindset, and you think about how he's going to play, and you think about all of that, I I understand where he's coming from. I understand uh, all of that, and it was one of those things where I think there is a little bit of a there was kind of a breakdown in communication where he did not tell Jim Jim Nil the first Jim Nil hears about this thought is through the media source, and then. Um, Jim, Jim, I, I spoke to Jim Nill. Jim told me that, hey, we can't make anyone come back that, that doesn't want to. Or we, we can't force anyone to do that. These are people. Um, and I think uh, when, when you look at all of it, I, I understand where Roman Polak's coming from. I also understand, I also don't think the Stars could have handled anything differently. One of the things that I saw kind of, one of the things that I got kind of a little bit frustrated with when uh, when this came out, is I saw some people that were I saw some of the Twitter reactions saying this reflected badly on the stars or this, and I don't see how else the stars could have handled this, um, and expe- especially because one of the one of the reasons that Roman Polak was kind of frustrated in the end was he wasn't playing as much, and something we'll talk about way more in uh, in another in another segment is obviously Stephen Johns being back. And the Stars never expected Stephen Johns to be back. So all of these factors, I don't see how the Stars could have handled it any better. And I don't, I, so I don't blame them. I don't blame Roman. Um, um, Roman's agent refused to decline, decline to comment when I reached out to him. But obviously I sensed some frustration there where um, Roman's agent probably doesn't want him doing this. But Roman kind of went and signed in the Czech League on, on his own. He's ready to live back there, he's ready to raise his family there, and he's got a comfortable three-year contract where he'll play, he'll play 20, 22 minutes a night over in the Czech League, and he'll be one of the better defenders in the league yeah. at this point. Well, from a, there's a couple of, of different angles to approach this. One is yeah. from the hockey operation side and how it affects the Stars roster, and then one is from the sort of the human being side. This is sort of a constant theme, Sean. Through all of our segments today, we'll be balancing the operational how does it affect the team to dealing with how to treat people like a person and a human being and we will touch on this in every segment today uh, at least the first three and I'm sure the lightning round will probably have that as well but from a strictly hockey roster standpoint this does and doesn't hurt the Dallas Stars Um, look Roman Polak let's let's go under the presumption that he will not come back and play in the Exhibition games, the qualifying, you know, the round-robin tournament, and then any of round one. As you and I both predict, if all things being equal, he's probably not in the top six. He's probably number seven, with Andre yep. uh, Sekera being number six at the moment. Now, Rick Bonus had been rotating them, 
sort of one-on-one -on -one off, but right before the pause, as you and I both observed, that Sekiro was starting to play well and getting a couple of more games. Although I think that we, you and I both had the stance that it, the rotation seemed to help both players play better level. So, yeah, I, I think so. I, I do think the rotation helped both players play in a better level. I think, um, and it was never, and it was just kind of the, they kept the rotation going when Roman Pollock would come out, but there was times where, hey, we have, it was it was one of those where um, Sekera started getting more opportunities of John's had a minor upper body injury or someone else was out where, where, where Sekera would be the one that would stay in, and it's not like... Uh, it's not like they would then try to make up that rotation to give Roman Polak more time in the future. Right, and so, so. That, that's part of it. Now, look, the Stars will be fine if Polak does not come back for this because they also have Taylor Fadoon and they have some good young depth. Uh, Thomas Harley might be around. Yeah. But here's the thing. Polak is an NHL experienced defenseman. He's a pretty decent penalty killer. He's very physical. He is does a lot of things that don't necessarily stand up to the uh, statistical or analytic approach. A lot of people ha that follow more of the numbers side of the game see that that's not his strength, but there are plenty of what we always refer to as intangibles that seem to, to make endear him well to his teammates and to his coaching staff. So I think that if you're Jim Nill, you want Roman Polak here because He's a firm believer that you can't have enough defensemen. And, Sean, you and I have watched now the couple weeks of return of the EPL uh, the, a month or two ago with the German Bundesliga. Guys are picking up injuries. I just watched yeah. a couple of players pick up a hamstring or a, an ankle or here or there, and that's going to be an issue. Um, well, I, 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 think, I, yeah. I don't think you're going to get through this. I mean, in normal circumstances where you've been playing, you're going to get injuries in the playoffs. So... I would think that the Stars would absolutely like to have him there for depth, not necessarily because he's going to be a starter, but because they, you know, look, whether it's John's dealing with a headache that comes up, which is very feasible, or an older guy like Sekera maybe feels a twinge in the groin and needs a day off, somebody gets a bump or a bruise, oh, it's going to happen. Like, like, like last year, Jamie Alexiak played very well right. in the first yes. round against Nashville, did not play against St. Louis, and... That's what it, it, it's so. I mean, you don't make it through the playoff format in a normal year without going into your depth. Um, like, I mean, as much as it, it's it's almost become a running joke how much we reference our buddy Doug Litster. But when the Stars won the Stanley Cup, Doug Litster played games. He did. Like, and, yeah. and, and and it's one of those where if you said, oh well, he's the he was effectively the eighth defenseman. He still played games in that Stanley Cup run. So you don't go. You don't go through the playoffs without going into your seventh and eighth defenseman, your thirteenth and fourteenth forward. You don't go. You don't go. You don't win. You don't play 20, 22, 23 games. What it takes to go through all the way to win the Stanley Cup, um, without uh, even more than that. I mean, that that's that's actually a pretty impressive record. I guess if twenty two games a team would go sixteen and six, that would be that would be a pretty impressive run. Wouldn't but it? Um, <laughs> but either either way, my my point being. So while he would not probably play game one of the playoffs if everyone's healthy, he probably would get in at some point. Yeah, now, and it's hard to predict because, yeah. for example, uh, in that 99 Cup run that we've been doing a lot yeah. of talking about, Hatcher got suspended, so Lidster had to play. Brad Lukowicz got games in. Sean Chambers got banged up and was struggling for health at that time. That's underplaying. Again, yeah. I think, Sean, that with between the exhibition games that they play and then that qualifying round robin for seeding purposes, 
it's not going to be unsc- players aren't going to be unscathed, right? Yeah. There's going no, to be. I, I don't think game one of the first round, whomever the stars end up facing, is. N- I mean, I, I hope everybody's healthy, but I would not at all be surprised if there was somebody. Hey, we're going to have a hold them out for a game or two because they need to recover because of this or that or whatever. Well, and then especially, I think we're going to see in the round robin. I think we're going to see a ton of rotation from yes. those round robin teams. Like I think seeding is is going to be somewhat important, but I think so much more for Rick Bonus and his staff is going to be. I want the best version of Joe Pavelski. I want the best version of Corey Perry. I want the best version of Jamie Ben. I want the best version of John Klingberg. I want all of them playing. I want all of them the best versions for game one of a game that actually matters for the season continuing the round robin games yeah i think the intensity will be there don't you i just think that the it'll be squad rotation oh my gosh yeah it will be and especially and then even even the exhibition games i would imagine the exhibition games there's going to be kind of a i would imagine so much of the exhibition games for the stars is going to be rick bonus going to his older players asking even 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 to blake como and andrew cogliano hey how many games do you need to be ready for game one? If Blake Como says the answer is four, just to pick an answer, you know what? He's probably going to play Blake Como one exhibition game in all three round robins. Yep. If if John Klingberg says, hey, I want three, you know what? Maybe he only plays John Klingberg one exhibition game, two round robin games. Like yep. I think there's going to be a internal conversation where he's going to go to the players and say, what do you need to be ready for game one? And we're going to use that to figure out who plays. And what will be really it's interesting also going... is, don't you think that he, he will very much split the goaltenders? But the question is, will he give each of them one whole exhibition game before the round robin, or will he split time in games? My guess is that he'll let each uh, Hudobin and, and Bishop start because that's the way they like to get ready, not come in, and have somebody else, like whether it be Landon Bow no. or Jake Ottinger, back up those. Don't you think? I, I would think so. I would think for the exhibition games, I would think you'll get whoever the, and and you know what? Maybe even for the round robin games, I would think that Bishop or Hudobin, whoever's backing up, isn't even going to be backing up. They may just not even dress. That's what I was saying. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but but even for the round robin games, just oh, okay. because, like like because if it's. Yeah, it might just be if extended uh, exhibition yeah, style roster. Yeah, because like if you're if if, if you're pulling a goalie. Just like if, if a goalie's getting pulled in the round robin, whether you lose that game or not, it doesn't end your season. And so if you're if a goalie's getting pulled, it's either because of injury, which would suck, yep. and then and then you don't want and then someone's coming in cold and you don't want to risk someone coming in cold and getting hurt, or you're getting blown out and you know what, it's round robin. Okay, just give Jake Ottinger the experience. Um so to me, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if, and we know this decision is going to be made by Jeff Reese, not Rick Bonus. We know Rick Bonus is going to let Jeff Reese make this decision. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't surprise me if Jeff Reese says, you know what, hey, uh, Ben and Anton, they both get one exhibition game. Bishop wants Bishop wants two two round robin games. Anton wants one. Jake Ottinger's the backup for every game that for every game or for for every game or maybe I I could see. I'm kind of rambling here, but I could see <laughs> I could see who Dobin's still backing up Bishop, but I could see the games who Dobin starts Ottinger backs up. Yeah, that makes if sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Just to put a bow on the yeah. Roman Polak talk from the, that's from the hockey operations, the strictly team side of it. From the personal yeah. side, I understand, Sean, that if look, we see this a lot in uh, in any sport, 
particularly we look we're big soccer fans we see it a lot when a player falls out of favor or they bring in a new signing during the season yep. and suddenly they're not playing and nobody likes to sit and not play everybody wants to be involved whether it's in a substitute role or starter or whatever they like to be involved and so if you train day after day and either make the bench and don't get subbed in or you aren't even in the 18 on a typical soccer game then that can get frustrating it Coincidentally, if you're playing like Taylor Fadoon kind of knew what he was signing up for as, yep. hey, you're going to play, but you're also going to be that seven or eight guy. So there's going to be times where you're not going to be playing. And I don't think it's ideal for Taylor, but he's I think he's very capable of handling the mental aspect of being that well, player. And I don't think Roman signed up to be. A, an every other game kind of player, and I get that. So, but my thing is, is that I don't hold any ill will towards him if he decides that he's not willing to risk the uh, infection of coronavirus to by going into a bubble format, flying across the country where he can't see his wife and kids for a few games, which he's already determined that he's not going to pursue more NHL games after this season. So, well. It will be disappointing from the Dallas Stars perspective if he doesn't come back. I don't have any animosity towards Roman the human being if he makes this decision. Well, and also he's even said too, he doesn't think a training camp, this training camp will be long enough for him to not risk injury. I mean, he's also got to look at his, like, if the Stars have to mutually, essentially what would kind of happen just from a standpoint of, and, and this is, and who knows how all this works, but say this, say, say by doing this, he voided his last check that, that was been, has been withheld so far. You know what? Giving, risking an injury that, 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 uh, that risks that three-year contract with the check, with his, with the check club, uh, that, that's not worth it. That's, I mean, he's made enough money right. in his life. That's right. the other thing too. So, well, so we'll see how that plays out because we have training camp set to begin July 10th. However, we also heard that there's a chance that could get pushed back by a, a couple of days. Your colleague Pierre Lebrun was reporting yeah. today that it wouldn't be more than a few days if they did have to move it around. But everybody seems to be thinking that it's going to stay at July 10th. But w yeah. I digress for the moment because the next thing, Sean, is the fact that we could hear as early as today. Now, we thought we might hear about Hub Cities last week during our, our off week on the Quarcast. But it hasn't mm -hmm. gotten to that. But they have trimmed down from the 10, and we're now down to 5. But it really sounds like we might be closer to 3 with a couple of placeholders in Chicago and Los Angeles if Canada can't sort things out. Yeah, right now it really feels like we're kind of at one of... To me, it feels like we're at one of two situations. It's either... Um, and like, I guess there's three, but option A, a, option a sounds like... Vegas and Toronto or Edmonton or option B is both Toronto and Edmonton or option C which is the one I think that's the least likely is Vegas and then we have a debate between Chicago and LA of who gets that spot because Canada wasn't able to work it out but it looks like those Canadian cities are working it out it looks like those provinces have been able to work with what the NHL is looking for and so it's really looks like it's coming down to it's going to be one Canadian city, and it's probably going to be Vegas. However, I do know the NHL is using a little bit of leverage to with Vegas to saying, hey, what type of deal can you give us because we can get this 
cheaper and to use both Canadian cities. So there's some negotiating going there, but it really feels like right now, hey, it's going to be Vegas and either Edmonton or Edmonton or Toronto. Um, personally, just and, and as far as if you were going through and making the decision and how you look at it, um, personally, I think they should do Edmonton, but that's just that's just kind of a feel of you look at I've you look at kind of the areas, you look at the rinks, you look at the kind of the just arena setup there, and I think. In my, my personal view, I think Edmonton's a little bit better just for um, less people getting sick, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I, less I think the smaller population in Edmonton yes. is actually the high. It, it's ironic, isn't it? Because yeah. in a normal non-pandemic situation, a lot of if players would probably vote for Vancouver or Toronto, yeah. one of these massive cities that has more things to do and a lot of fun, and they would not pick a city like Edmonton, smaller, maybe a fewer things, comparatively less to do. That's actually going to be its plus right now. Yeah, it is fun. It, is, it was hilarious when, did you see the video that was tweeted out by the, uh, I think it was the, I can't remember his position, but he tweeted he tweeted out about how, why the NHL should host in, in Edmonton. No, I don't and think it was I saw this. It was, it was an Alberta, it was basically an Alberta tourism video. And it, <laughs> had, it, it had shots from Banff in there. Oh, and, nice. I, and it's like one of those where it's like, all right. Well, so they'll drive four hours round trip to to, to walk around Banff from Edmonton. Like it was a video. It was it was an Alberta tourism video that really included nothing of Edmonton. Which I do was just... remember last was it last month that Edmonton said that they would uh, basically uh, rope off a, an entire golf course, close it down just mm-hmm. for the players in the bubble. And, I and, think Sean. And, I mean, just if you think about it from a weather standpoint, because obviously they're playing indoors. Yeah. Yeah. Edmonton would be one of the better choices because summer in Edmonton is a lot like where I am in Maine right now. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and, and, and also the other thing that people don't um, don't understate how important golf is to NHL players. That's the other thing, too, yes. as far as you talk. Like, for example, I literally just saw a picture on social media earlier this morning of Corey Perry, Corey Perry Jamie Benn, and Tyler Sagan golfing. This past weekend, um, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan were golfing in Austin. Don't don't understate how important golf is to NHL players and having the ability to say, hey, we don't play for two days. We can do something social. And well, remember how when watching The Last Dance, the golf course was a huge deal for Michael Jordan because mm-hmm. it was an escape, meaning he could get out on the course, compete, have fun, do something physically active, get fresh air, and stay away from being Michael Jordan, for, which he basically was 24-7, right? Yeah. I think, and we're going to talk about this a bit in our next segment about mental health, is the fact that that kind of escape is really good for the brain. Yeah. Especially when they're in the midst of a playoff run where there's so much pressure heaped on each of these players. Yeah. So we'll see if they announce it today or not. I would not be surprised if we heard Vegas and Edmonton or Vegas and Toronto today. Yeah just because they are starting to get a little closer to needing I, to shore up some of the I, I, the I also wouldn't be, it depends, I mean, it may leak, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the NHL intentionally waits till Saturday because to not try to, uh, the NHL is, like, they have content tonight. They have the right. NHL draft lottery tonight. Boy, that's a great so far, segue, Sean. Perfect. So, <laughs> so as far as, uh, as far as having, as far as having, 
something to talk about. The NHL already has something built in to talk about tonight. So as far as the league making an official announcement, it wouldn't surprise me if it waited, but that also doesn't mean that um, one of the insiders wouldn't get it or leak it or anything like that in, in, in the time. So as Sean mentioned, the uh, phase one of the NHL 2020 draft lottery is tonight. It's a made-for-TV event that will air on NHL Network in the United States. I'm guessing it'll be on Sportsnet in Canada. I think it's also on NBC Sports, isn't it? Is it on NBC? A- NBC uh, is it an NBC? I know for I sure know. it's on NHL Network. Yeah. I, I would have to double-check it on the other one. But it's at 8 Eastern, so 7 Central. And that's important because you and I are on split time zones today. Yeah. And the draft lottery could be all done today or it could not. Now, for those of you that that may not remember all the details. It's a bit convoluted, but they set up a a situation to try to have a draft lottery before the qualifying round is over because they wanted to have some extra content and do it now. Now, Sean, they could have simply waited for the qualifying round to be over and then just do the draft lottery. And what they're trying to do is avoid a situation where if they did it by regular season standings points, that teams that could make the playoffs and then win a Stanley Cup and also get the first overall pick at the same time, or even a top three pick. So what yep. they're going to do is that the seven teams that aren't involved in this uh, you know, 24-team play-in uh, or playoff will be involved along with placeholders for those eight teams that are going to get yep. eliminated in the qualifying round. So... If the scenario that I think the NHL would love this scenario, if in three uh, lottery draws, the teams of the seven, you know, if the three winners of the draft lottery all came from the seven that are not in this qualifying round, then it's over. They will have placeholder spots, and then those spots will be filled once teams get eliminated, and they won't need to do a second draw, which will be later on. But I think, Sean is that when you go through this, it will be fascinating to see the one thing that uh, one of your colleagues, I think it was Sean McAdoo, pointed out, that it's a 1 in 36,000 plus chance that the New York Rangers could end up winning the Stanley Cup and getting the first overall pick. They're the only team, and it's because of the trade where they have uh, Carolina's top pick. Yeah. Boy, that wouldn't that be goofy? Yeah, the other thing just about tonight, and obviously some people are going to be listening after this happens, so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the thing that's that's amazing to think about, the there is automatically going to be intrigue when Bill Daly holds up the number more so than ever before, because if he holds up a seven, that means we know that all three, all there will no be no other draw, because that means if he holds up an eight, that means we know one intern, one team that still has to play has one of the first three picks. Yep. If he holds up a ten we know all three picks are going to teams that yeah. are going to play. So I'm hoping for a nine tonight. I'm hoping to, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to see a nine you pop up. You want chaos, be- don't you? I, I, I want the chaos because I want to see a nine pop up because that means we'll still have the drama of one of those bottom seven teams getting a top three pick and where they fit. But that means we'll have two scenarios in the playing round where we will have the talking point of, well... Uh, Chicago, they weren't going to win around anyway. Maybe it's better to lose to Edmonton and get the first round overall pick. Like just like <laughs> if they think that it's actually the first overall yeah, pick. Yeah, but like right. It's so boy, it'll like be I, very interesting. Yeah, so I I I I, I want to see a nine pop up, and so it's we know at least one. We'll know one of the teams getting the top three picks, but we don't know the other two. That's what I want. Lastly, because it's the news, 
I feel mm-hmm. like we should do a whole segment on this, but not this week. But Hockey Hall of Fame induction voting mm-hmm. was announced. Sean, you uh, and Eric Duhatchek, one of your colleagues at The Athletic, hosted basically like a, a mock Hall yeah. of Fame draft. Or, or Fascinating. I, I learned a ton from that. That's I'd like to hear you talk more about that, yeah. but given the time constraints, since we've already gone almost a half an hour, should we defer this to like next week and do a yeah. segment and talk? Yeah, I, I just wanted to bring it up just because I didn't want our listeners to think we didn't acknowledge no, that those votes were out. I, I think it'd be a fun thing to talk about next week and in a little bit more in depth because um, it's a process that I, I didn't really understand well enough until I went through and did all of this. And, and I kind of gained, and I wrote this in my column that ran yesterday, I gained more appreciation for the decisions that have to be made, but I gained less appreciation for the rules they have to follow. And so I think it's a, I think it's a really good conversation to have and make a segment next week. All right, so that will happen next week in our 14th episode of the Quarcast. But coming up in our next segment in episode 13, more Stephen John's talk. We've had it a couple of times, but now... We go into the deep end of the pool. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Help! When, when I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, I'm not so self assured. Now I find a change of mind. And open up the doors Help me if you can I'm feeling down And I do appreciate you being round Help me get my feet back on the ground Won't you please, please help me Okay, segment two is a very serious subject matter today because Sean introduced earlier this week, I believe it came out on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, the full in-depth interview that we had been patiently waiting for and didn't know when we were going to have it with Dallas Stars defenseman Stephen Johns talking personally about the 22 months that he spent trying to deal with post-traumatic stress and uh, post-concussion headaches and dealing with everything that he had to. We all heard some bits and pieces over the last two years about what he was going through, but not from, uh, for lack of a better word, from the horse's mouth or straight from the source. Sean, we're going to talk a lot about this in this segment. We didn't know when he was going to open up, and you have told me multiple times that you, and you said it on the ticket uh, on Wednesday this week when you made your triumphant debut on Sports Radio 96.7 and 13. Actually, 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 a re- triumphant return. return if you, okay. if you rem- Forgive me. If you, re- if you remember, actually, uh, the draft, after the Stars drafted Miro, you were hosting the draft show. Oh, and I was in Chicago. And you, that's and you guys right. had me on. Oh, I, I apologize. No, I forgot. That was, but that was, but that was, uh, that was pre-contractually uh, not allowed to be on the ticket. Yeah, that uh, was before you became. Uh, were that's you, before I was an empl- before that was, an that, athletic that, employee at that point. 
That was before I was an athletic employee. It's ironic because that weekend... I don't think weekend, athletic existed then, did it? It did. No, it did. Ironically, that weekend in Chicago, at the time, that the athletic was still only a Chicago and Toronto That's thing. That's right. Okay. And ironically, at the time, that weekend was actually... I look at... There's a lot of pieces for how I ended up at the athletic. There are so many... Com- there are many conversations that weekend in Chicago that that may have led to this further. But I was going to say digress. that you were then a writer for and uh, founder of the Upset at that point. I, that was still just wrong side of the red line. Was oh my and gosh! So we found yeah. that narrow window between the yeah. two. Yeah, that was that was still just wrong side of the red line, and I was just doing NHL.com things, and that was essentially me in Chicago. Have thankfully having. A family member who lived in Chicago, so I had a couch to cat crash on. So. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. Yes, yes. So um, as we reminisce and laugh about this, we get back to the seriousness of it. Yeah, so yes. you you spent a lot of time on this story, and mm-hmm. Stephen's article, Let's if you haven't seen it in The Athletic already, do so. And I know people have said to me, well, I don't have a subscription. Well, you should, and I'm not doing this to just pump up my buddy's tires, but he deserves it in this case. But also because, look, I subscribe to The Athletic. I don't get it for free. I've tried from Sean. He doesn't have that kind of pull. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have it for free. But no, in seriousness. You and, uh, you, you and Joe Pavelski have both asked for free subscriptions. So. I feel like I'm in very good company then. But, but seriously, like, for me, it, it makes sense professionally to suspend the money to do that. And I read it a ton. I get a ton of great news, not just from hockey, but lots of different sports. But this is one of those ones that even if you don't think you want to spend any money, get a a free trial subscription if you haven't already and do it because it's a a phenomenal insight into something that you couldn't possibly comprehend yourself unless you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is is a story, too, where... um, you, the Stephen John story, and it's the story's out there. But obviously, one of the things that if, if you're listening for the first time, and I doubt I doubt if you're listening right now, you you've missed it because you probably follow enough, you follow the stars enough to. If you're listening to this podcast, you follow the stars enough that you at least have heard something about the Stephen John. I want story, to meet but, the person that accidentally stumbles on the Quadcast 13th <laughs> episode as the first taste of Dallas Stars coverage of, at, at all, right? If, if you're that person, send us an email. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to hear how you got here and what rabbit hole you followed. Yeah, or it made it and made it 35 minutes into uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, but the if any any just kind of a quick rehash of Stephen Johns. We know he was out for 22 months with post traumatic headaches, post concussion syndrome. We knew it must have been hellacious. He was away from a sport and a game, but. I, we didn't, I don't, any, no one except for those in his inner circle realized how dark it really was for Stephen, where the, there was the chronic pain, there was constant depression, there was, he had suicidal thoughts, he would lay in bed at night and he would, he would craft suicide notes in his head. So, I mean, that's, it's very, this, this really was, and I wrote it and it's, but it's not underselling it. This really was a story about saving someone's life as opposed to saving a hockey career saving the fact Steven Johns is playing hockey again that's that's gravy that's gravy right. the fact Steven Johns the person is still here that's the true victory and the um, that's the thing we should celebrate most that that he's still here and that he found the support group to to, to still be alive like that's that that's the that's the most important thing here so 
one of the things that I can understand with this is how miserable it is to be injured. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he was injured. Now, yep. the scale is different, but when I was in college, I got hurt two different times. Once I broke a bone in my wrists during practice, I went to punch. I was a goalkeeper in, in Division III soccer at Haverford and went to punch a ball, and I got the ball, and one of my teammates was on the other team on a corner kick trying to head it. I got the ball. His head got my wrist. So I was out for a bit then, but I could... I was in a splint. I could bag it up and tape it and play with my feet. Then when I was a senior, I broke my big toe on my left foot. And that was a lot more frustrating because I couldn't run, let alone walk very straight. I had to sort of hobble on the outside of my foot. And it was, uh, the reason why I bring that up is, Sean, being out for eight, I was out eight weeks for that injury during my senior year of my last college soccer season ever. That was awful because I couldn't be a normal part of the team. I was on the sidelines. I was doing bike riding in the gym and then hobbling out to the field and watching and really not being much of a part of the group. And it was miserable. But during those times, I could still be, you know, my head was clear. So I could still go to class, have fun with friends, play video games, goof off. And that was, you know, there were escapes during that time. So while I was also, not happy, I, I had my moments. But you also had, and you also had the other thing too, is a broken toe or a broken wrist. There are yes. timelines and protocols, and this is, this is something that, okay, this is what it should look like. Right. And as frustrating as it was, because I was determined that I was going to be good to go at six weeks, because the, the orthopedic doctor said six to eight weeks, and I was starting to run at six weeks feeling like I was ready to go. And he said, you know what? Let's be safe and do eight weeks. And I was crushed because mm -hmm. I was determined to get back in and be ready to go two weeks earlier because I had better chance to get back on the field. And yet, even then, and my point on this, Sean, is that while I was dealing with all of that, I still managed to have some fun outside of the, the, of the team as opposed to what Steven Johns has been going through. And I thought that was one of the most telling things that he came up with during his interview with the ticket this Wednesday was during that stretch of time, he had zero fun. He had yeah. no escape. And that's what led him to the dark corners that you had in your interview and article with him was the fact that he, during this whole ordeal, it never was like, oh, well, there's a bright glimmer of hope here. This no. was great. Partly because there was no timetable. He, he didn't know what was wrong with him specifically. It wasn't like, this is it, we can do this to fix it. He didn't and he know still how, doesn't know. He didn't know how long it was going to take, as you said. And then because he was so uncomfortable and in such chronic and constant pain with the headaches and how he felt, he couldn't even, let's say, play video games. And he's a huge gamer. He yeah. couldn't go hit a golf ball. He couldn't go for a walk and enjoy it. It was just constant and that could drive anybody to the point of those kind of depression despair moments that just linger and start to get to really dark things yeah and, 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 and there are there's a couple of things in this story there's a couple of moments in this story that all that always kind of stick out to me um when i was talking to steven and when i was doing this interview and we're talking and 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 one of the first times and he and i did three or four interviews we talked for about Three or three to four hours about this, just kind of him sharing his story. One of the things um, he said, 
it was forever. Like he used the word, oh, we didn't go to a restaurant or we didn't go to something for forever. And forever is such a non-tangible thing. Then um, the next day I spoke to his girlfriend, uh, Taylor Zakarian, um, about, and she's, she's, she's a hero in this story, but um, I talked to her about that and I asked her about, hey, Steven said it was kind of forever uh, and how long you guys went to a restaurant. What did, what did forever mean? Just because Taylor was very, as someone who was with him on the daily and handled, helped handle all his doctor's appointments, she was very important in this story, just from a journalistic standpoint of setting some timelines for, because so much of this was a blur to Steven. It's not that he forgets things. He didn't have memory loss, but it's so much of it is just a frustrating blur where, well, one it's day some, bleeds to the next so easily because it, he's doing the exact same thing. Exactly. And so for Taylor, though, I, so I'm asking her, like, hey, so he said you guys didn't go to a restaurant for forever. What Can you define what forever means? And she's the one who says, yeah, we didn't go to a restaurant for 17 months. Ooh. Like, we didn't, we, we didn't go to a restaurant. We didn't do anything social for 17 months. That is, that's something where you look at that and, uh, like, even just small chatter and, and – before that all started, and one of the things that didn't even make it into that story, because there's so much in the story, but one of the other kind of additional details that Taylor told me about was kind of right before the 17-month away from social and things, the, they were, this was early fall of the 2018-19 season, they were, this would have been October, uh, they were up in the Northeast to, to see a doctor, and her family is from New York. And so they, they was like, okay, we're here for you to see the doctor, but they were close enough to go see. Sure. So her family was a family friend was hosting like just a simple cocktail party or something like that. And there's no music playing, just chatter. And Taylor tells me that after about five minutes, Stephen came up to me and says, we have to leave. I can't, he, he couldn't handle the stimulus of a simple cocktail party chatter. There's no music playing. There's nothing. Do you recall... And, it was during that season, I think, eighteen nineteen, right, mm -hmm. where he tried to come back, a couple times. Skate. There were yeah. a couple of instances yeah. where he was trying to practice with the team, and there was one where yeah. it looked like he looked pretty good out there, and then we found out that the puck ringing off the post yep. caused him not just discomfort but real physical pain. Yep. Even yep. if he that was halfway across the ice surface. Yeah, that was one. Of, I believe, if I remember correctly, that was something that that really happened in January or December. I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah. But basically, during I that think 2018 it was mid season for yeah, sure. Yeah, that 2018-19 season where he there was he's playing. He's he's having an okay practice. Um, somebody hits the post and his head just starts. Basically, feels like it's imploding. Like yeah. it was, like it's just all of these these things and. I mean, so to kind of move forward with this story, one of the things to me that, so the story's out there, and one of the main reasons, there's two really important things for me that I want to just harp on right now that, just for anyone who's listening, um, for one, um, I give Stephen a ton of credit for being willing to be this open about this while he is playing in his career. We, we, we have seen professional athletes, we've seen them we have seen people get better about being open about these things. Uh, we saw Robin Leonard last year and stuff yes. like that. But, but so many times we get these, uh, we find out about these stresses and these horrible things that athletes go through. 
we find out about it three, four, five years after they've retired, either whether it's and someone puts it in a book or someone talks about it then. Like I give Steven so much credit for being willing to say, I'm still an active NHL player. I go through something like this. I want to be able to share my story now. Right. And I they're want... so afraid that if they open up while they're playing, mm-hmm. it'll be used against them either by the front office of a team, yeah. it might affect their job, or by their opposition when they're playing against them. And mm-hmm. um, you mentioned, you say this, and immediately things like Akeem Alou's story that came out mm-hmm. this year, or uh, the things that we've heard recently from Daniel Carcillo come to mind of guys that have tried to like repress it so much or uh, just can't face it while they're still in the game. Or like, I mean, to me, a great example is, and obviously it's not the same thing. It's more of an abuse thing, but Theo Fleury, yes, Theo Fleury's so. book, yep. Theo Fleury's book and his story. Th- those are all the type of things. Which where is heartbreaking to read. It, it, it's heartbreaking to read. And it's heartbreaking to read then where you're like, as a 20, when he was 24, 25, like, no one, no, no one could help him. He felt like he had to hide this. And so I give Stephen a ton of credit for being an active NHL player talking about this and an active human being talking about this. The other thing that just is the biggest thing, there are two things that I think to anyone who's listening, um, there is so much strength in vulnerability. And that's something where we forget about that, not just in hockey, but in society. One of the bravest things Stephen did during all of this was while he's having these terrible thoughts and he's diving deeper and deeper into depression, he realized and he was willing to say to Taylor, hey, I need help. Just yes. being yep. able to ha- being able to do that and being able to reach out to, he had someone close to do him, but to be able to reach out to anyone, to be able to, to, to say, I'm struggling, I need help, having that vulnerability, that is something that I think really needs to be taken from this story. And it's something that... Anyone, anyone who's who is who is dealing with this, hope and, and has kind of found a better new normal, will hopefully be able to tell you. Being able to reach out for help is one of the most valuable and freeing things that can help put you on the path to getting better or getting to that new normal. And to me, that's the biggest thing that Stephen did. He reached out to Taylor. He wasn't afraid to reach out to his agent. He wasn't afraid to tell Jim Nell. And when he did that, that kind of set a stage for we're going to handle this the right way. That's why he's still alive today. That's why he's still here. And if uh, someone who's listening right now, if you're struggling and you need help and, and, and you and you're having 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 dark thoughts or you're struggling with depression, don't be afraid to talk to a family member or a friend or even even or anyone. I mean, if if you're struggling right now and you're listening, you need someone to talk to. My direct messages on Twitter are open. Like that's the type of like that right. as people, don't be afraid to reach out. And that even if uh, and, and I'm serious about that. If so, if someone's listening to this and you're having issues and you need to talk to someone, there's a reason my direct messages are open on Twitter. That's I I, I have no problem saying that at all. So that that's one of the lessons from from Stephen on this. That and 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 working on this story. It's the type of story where it makes you stop and think, and, and I, th- I think people have had some of the same reaction while reading it, of it makes you assess and think about how you treat other people, too. I mean, there are times where I've dealt with my own mental health issues, not not to an extent of where, where Stephen, not to the hole Stephen was in, but there's type of things where I think about, hey, am I being supportive of this or am I, am I handling this situation right when my wife is having her stresses or a loved one is having their stresses and am I, am I being 
am I uh, one of the things that I think one of the lessons from Taylor on, on all of this that I think is tremendous that, that we should all take forward and this is one of the reasons that she is such a savior in Stephen's life is you don't have to be able to fix something right away and that's something that I've dealt with in the past where it's like something's wrong someone's dealing with a stress I'm like oh let's fix it let's fix it let's fix Which it is a very and uh, I think about that a lot in yeah. uh, men in my own marriage and male female relationships is that a lot of times when somebody has a problem, they just want to be heard. And it, now it's not always the case, Sean, but many times the guy's first reaction is, what can I do to solve the problem? How can I fix it? I want to be a helper. And sometimes that's not what's actually needed is the practical, which is what yep. I, I mean, we're all, a lot of men are inclined to want to fix, help, be that, you know, ride in as the knight in shining armor and save the day. And sometimes the way to do that is not to actually come up with a solution, but actually to just listen, be there, be supportive. And that's, it's not always easy to, to overcome the initial inclinations no, like, of, I want to help. It, it, it's okay to say, and this is, it's okay to say, that sucks. Yes. I'm here for you. It's okay to say just that. Yes. That doesn't solve anything. I mean, a perfect example in this story is we talked a lot about Taylor, but Rick Bonus deserves a ton of credit oh. for for helping Stephen Johns, and, and the moment that's in my story yes. where after after he plays in New York, and I remember, and it was fun, it was one of those things where I remember the morning of that game against the Islanders, um, where we uh, next night and um, Rick Bonus said Stephen Johns wasn't going to play that night. I remember thinking, what the hell? Why isn't he going to play? He just played this great game against the Rangers. He's back. Momentum. What what the hell? What what the hell are you thinking? And then we learn of then we learned obviously later that hey, uh, he is uh, he was he was in some really dark spots that day. Rick Bonus when when Stephen Johns is breaking down, Rick Bonus didn't go in and say, oh well, we'll go talk, call this therapist or whatever. He just sat down, put his arm around him, and said, it's okay. Yeah, and you don't have to play today. You don't have to play today. It's okay, Man. and you don't have to worry about playing. Just those those type of things, those type of simple things of hey, I'm here for you, and making that known. That goes everywhere, and then, and then together people can work to find a solution. Stephen had Stephen reached out, and the people said, "Okay, I'm here for you," and then they started to work to find the solution. It's. I already it, it, had a ton it, of respect for Rick Bonus, for yeah. the man he is, his character, how he goes mm -hmm. about his his business. But then you read that, and it just amplifies it even more. I know this is a story, an article about Stephen Johns, but th hearing the way that he and Jim Nill and uh, and his girlfriend Taylor and his parents and how it all sort of connected in various ways. It just makes you feel that much better about the end result so far. And and also the, the fact that I think there's a big theme in that, Sean, that this isn't over for Steven. This isn't like no. he's gotten over the hump and he's done. He has definitely gotten over a hump and he is improved dramatically he's playing again he's having some fun in his life as you mentioned the steven smile has returned however this isn't the last bump in the road for him no i mean this is one of those things where no one knows what the next day holds and he manages symptoms and, and he still has he still has some headaches and things like that but he's able to manage them now and he's trying he's able to handle them but we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what's going to happen the next game he plays. We don't know how anything's going to hold up. If he ever takes... He's going to take another big hit. It's going to happen. He plays in the NHL. He plays a physical style. There is going to be a next big hit. 
We don't know what the next... He's had some next big hits during the 17 games he came back. But we don't know what the next big hit holds. We don't know what all this holds. And so there's such an unknown here. But there, he's hopeful. And that, that's a big lesson here. This Where he's, he's not... He's not scared. He's 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 not scared. He's hopeful about the future. He's looking to, he's looking at it that way instead of being, instead of uh, thinking, well, I'm just have to play because I get something out of it. No, he's he's hopeful to have a continuous long career after this. He's hopeful that he's going to continue to be better every day, and it's one of those things where it's terribly cliche to say you take it day by day, but you take it day by day with this bigger goal of every day amounts to another better better life moving forward and. Um, another, another thing, just to kind of quick note, another person, just to, there's a couple other people who in this story, Rick Bonus, Jim Nill, they're all in this story, but a couple other people who just, because this story, there's so many pieces to this story, a couple other people that I would definitely, um, just quickly mention here while we're talking on, on, on this podcast, because putting too many voices into this story, I didn't want to dilute the, the greater message, but... Uh, Stars assistant GM Mark Jenko, I'll just tell a quick story. Um, in October of the 29th, this past October, the 2019-20 season, um, Jim Nill, he had been going through Jim, and so Mark Jenko asked Jim Nill, hey, you okay if I take Steven out to breakfast? And Jim and Jenko took, Jenks took Steven out to breakfast. They talked and and Mark sat down with him and told him, hey, I don't care if you ever play hockey again. And both both Jenks and Steven told me that's the last time hockey was mentioned in the entire conversation. That's awesome. It was the assistant GM. It was, a, it was Steven Johns. And they talked about life. They talked about vulnerability. They just had breakfast. And that's it. And, that, and, that's, a, and that's a big message that comes from the tone Jim Nill helped set for the organization. Um, Steven, and I did mention this in my, my Shap Shots column yesterday, um, Steven gives Taylor Fadoon a ton of credit for being one of the teammates that was most supportive of him. Taylor, who is someone who I, you look at, you look at Taylor Fadoon, whose opportunity was created by Steven John's injury. They didn't know each other at all before this was created by Steven John's injury and then lost opportunity when Steven John's came back. And he talked about how much Fadoon was just so supportive there for him. He talked a lot. Justin Dowling was there very much for was 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 a big support part for him. Um, Jamie Ben was Jamie Ben was there for him. Just as far as once he did start getting out into social situations again, um, him and Taylor would would go would go out on, on double dates with Jamie and, and his girlfriend. There's a lot of people here that come together who. Um, you just I couldn't get all of that into the story to take because it is Steven's story. You couldn't I couldn't dilute it down for that. But there are a lot of people here where it shows how much of a support group there really is. Um, that uh, hopefully uh, that hopefully if you're listening out there and, and, and you you are ever dealing with something like this and, and you're and you're looking for help, um, just to know that you can reach out to the people that care about you. It's a wonderful story because the end result has come around. It didn't necessarily look like it was going to get to this resolution, but I think we can use this as a way to learn going forward the right ways to treat a player struggling with any sort of malady, whether it's brain-related, physical, emotional, Mm -hmm. that they need to be treated like the human being first and the hockey player second. Um, And we have to give the Stars a lot of credit for being a part of that in a positive way. Um, But there's a lot that is on the responsibility of the athletes themselves. And that is a perfect way to tie in with our next segment where maybe some of them don't show 
that maturity as much as they need to. That's next in segment three. are back as players start getting closer to getting to phase three. We still are in phase two of the NHL's return to play protocols. This week went to, to from six to 12 player groups from on Tuesday, June 23rd. That was this a uh, couple of days ago. But I don't know if many are actually utilizing a full 12 player group just yet. That, and, 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 that yeah, being said, places, Sean, I was just going to say, there's been a lot of news over the last week where the spike in cases in some of the southern uh, states, Florida, Arizona, starting to come to the forefront in the NHL with both the Tampa Bay Lightning practice facility and out in, in Arizona with a rather well-known young superstar for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Austin Matthews. Yeah, and, and it, it's the other thing too, just to keep just to note people, there's about seven or eight NHL teams that haven't even opened up phase two. Um, like for example, the... Uh, that have not formally opened up phase two. Like, for example, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Vancouver Canucks, they have not formally opened phase two. There are players in those cities skating, but they are not technically skating in uh, in, in phase in a phase two setup. Like with, in their NHL practice yeah, rank. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, you have uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning had to shut down their facility because they had uh, they had three players test positive. Um, there's also the story of Austin Matthews that was that – was, that was, uh, Broken by the Toronto Sun. I think Toronto. it was by Steve. Yep, it right? was by Steve Simmons. Yep. I'm drawing a blank. And, and the other thing, just important to note, um, as of this time, no one has con- neither Matthews, his agent, nor the Maple Leafs have confirmed that he tested positive for COVID-19. So that's the one. Just I want to just throw that caveat right, but in that there too. That changed uh, this last couple of weeks. The NHL determined, and you talked about this in yep. Shap Shots of. Yeah. The fact that it's being announced as a league-wide thing, so the player and the team are remaining anonymous. Yeah, which I, I don't I I don't need names. I I think this is an interesting concept, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. I don't need individual names at this phase. Like I for for phase two and phase three, I don't need individual names. But I do think it's important for some transparency of which teams have it, how many guys have it. I think that's important for transparency because we're talking about a public health thing. Yes, we're talking about a, this is a public health thing. And so it's important for that. Once we get to phase four and guys are in the bubble, if someone misses a game, I think we need to have, it needs to be clarified whether someone has COVID-19 or not because I think that is something where people need to be held responsible. I can't, I really, I really fear... Um, I really fear the protection blanket for teams of a uh, 
I'll just pick it. So I, I would really fear the protection of, say, Chicago, just to pick a random team. Someone's out for two games because they have COVID-19 symptoms and they had COVID-19, but were never told they had COVID-19. And then they therefore play after they're no longer showing symptoms three days later and never went through 14 days. And we don't have the ability to watchdog that because we don't know who what that person had. Right. They could say, oh, whoa, low, lower, body, lower body injury. I really don't want that. Like, I feel the NHL needs to be more transparent on a list of guys once we start playing. Hey, this is why this guy's out. Just prove that there's no... To prove that there's no skepti- to stop the skepticism of, I don't want to have to guess whether someone has COVID-19 or not. I want it to be clear of, hey, you don't need to tell me that if, if, if uh, just because he had, you don't need to tell me that, uh, uh, you don't need to tell me that Jamie Ben is out with a, sh- with a shoulder ailment, but you need to be able to tell me it's it is or isn't. Right. Exactly. To me, because this is a... This is a global health thing. This is this is something, and, uh, and I Sean, also th- I'm not so sure at the moment it's that big a deal. I no, think, no, 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 no. But here's my, my, my thing: my, when yeah. they get to phase three, that's when I would like to know because you didn't know where they are, right? Yeah. So if you have an assortment of players scattered all over the globe, and some of them are at NHL facilities, but maybe not even their own, mm-hmm. uh, location would help. I think that is important. Um, but when we get to phase three, it's going to be even bigger because in the EPL. For example, we started seeing reports of, hey, this many tests of players have been conducted. Yeah. Here's the positives. We're at 11. Now we're at 6. Now we're at 2. Yep. At, you know, Or now we don't have any. This is a good sign. So the overall trend is a, an important number. But I do think that, you know, for example, hey, uh, we, we right at the pause, Ottawa Senators had some players. Colorado Avalanche had a couple. And, and yep. so I think that nobody ever found out who those players were, at least I didn't. And yep. I think that's fine, but I, I'm yeah. with you on the sense that I think you should say the team, somebody from the team, because again, the idea is you get to the bubble and players are 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 confined to it, and here's where lies the problem, because right now, once they get to the bubble, the league has a certain oversight that players, the team management, mm-hmm. they're yep. trying to keep the players, you know, contained. Right now, it's the, the onus of this falls directly on the players and how they're conducting themselves because so much of it is outside of the team's scope. Yeah. And that, we're seeing that, that some of the athletes, and not just hockey, but other sports as well, are not taking this and t- as seriously as it needs to be, and they're not taking as many precautions as they need to. Because, again, it isn't just like, well, you went out to a bar or a club in Florida or Arizona, no big deal. You're just hurting yourself. No, you're risking setting not only yourself, but your teammates, family, and friends that you're in contact with. And the entire return to play scenario is uh, is at risk because of your bad judgment. I mean, the perfect example is, the, I, I think the cautionary tale for all of this should be in the NWSL where the Orlando, uh, what is the name of the women's team in Orlando? Uh, the Pride? There, I think, yeah. Uh, this is the, the National Ar- Women's Soccer League. Yeah, where the Orlando Pride had to withdraw their team from the return to, from their 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 comeback tournament that was that starts tomorrow, I believe. It's in uh, they, Utah, right? Yeah, yeah. They had to withdraw. They had to withdraw the entire team because a couple players went to a bar and went clubbing and got everyone else sick. Right. And I mean, just talk about not being willing to to follow the yeah. protocols for the sake of your entire team. 
so that that should be the cautionary tale. That should be the cautionary tale where, especially if you're if you're um, a, it shouldn't be it sh- it should be enough of human decency anyway, just to say, hey, we're not going to do that. But <laughs> if you that's if a you whole need, other segment. But if you need the if you need the concept of hey, if we get everyone sick, we have to withdraw from the Stanley Cup, like. I be- this it's it's terrible to say this but I believe there is below, above a non-zero chance that you have a team get knocked out of the playoffs because they have too many covid I, mean, I, I, hope, I hope I hope that we I, don't get to that yes but I but I believe there's above a non-zero chance to say 100% oh there's no way that would happen you can't say that no, like you can't. you can't like you can't say team x I'm not even going to throw any team names on this on purpose you're not you going to say- continue to bag on the blackhawks no no, no. <laughs> I you can't say Team X. We, you can't say that if, if Team X has 14 guys with COVID and all of a sudden it's like, we don't have enough guys to, to play, they can't play. Like, they're out. <laughs> so It'd be insane if that happened, but I, you're right. It, there's yeah. not a 0% chance that that could happen, and so they have to be very careful. And yeah. So for, for all the stuff that you've heard so far and these reports of players not showing that, not in the NHL necessarily, but just in the sports world, but, um, athletes in general. I and mean, look, I mean, look. Uh, I'll yeah. single out Novak Djokovic, the number one yeah. ranked tennis player in the world. He held these exhibition t- tournaments in Serbia and Croatia that were non-sanctioned. They were sloppy, and he's tested positive, and others uh, have been exposed to as well, which makes it first of all irresponsible. It makes tennis's plans to return to play a lot harder. It puts everything else at jeopardy, and it shows a lot of selfishness instead of thinking about what's for the greater good. And uh, I, I can't profess to know anything about the personality of Novak himself because I've never met the guy. Uh, I've watched a lot of tennis in my day, so I'd like to think I know a little bit of the public perception, but that could be very different. But you have to be able to show some selflessness here, and that's something that unfortunately with talking about wearing masks and doing stuff, it's not always the case. But, Sean, it does seem as though one demographic of NHL players – kind of gets it and I are showing a really refreshing sense of maturity of how they're dealing with this. Yeah. And I give, uh, in, in this group is someone I texted, I was texted with three of the players on the flight actually, uh, this week where the, the, a lot of the NHL players in Finland have chartered a flight from Helsinki. It's actually, it may be in the, it's probably in the air right now, actually, as we're speaking, where chartered a flight from Helsinki to New York, um, a group of, I believe, 22 to 25 players is what, the, what I last heard of NHL players. Everyone from their, um, a lot of these guys all trade, trained together in Helsinki, have uh, chartered a flight. And it is, it's smart. It's, it's, they're not flying commercial. And instead of having, instead of the NHL having, say, 15 different flights to worry about commercial flights from, Helsinki to, to, to wherever in North America, there's one flight, it's, it's chartered, and then a lot of these guys are going to fly either, some of them will fly commercial, some of them will fly private to their actual NHL cities, and um, I was texting with Essa Lindell about this earlier this week, I was asking Essa who was the organizer, and he wasn't really sure, but he told me that if I needed to name an organizer, he would take credit. <laughs> How generous um, of him. But... Uh, he he's on that flight. Um, Miro Heiskanen's on that flight. Ropa Hintz is on that flight, and they are all kind of. It, it is a hey, let's be smart about this. Let's streamline this. Let's let's. There is always going to be risk with this, but let's cut out 
part of the risk as much as possible. And um, I give the uh, the Finnish players a lot of credit for that. I know there's uh, there's been talk of, hey, something could be similar done. Something similar could be done with some of the Swedish players. Um, there's other and there, there's there's um, like for example, I know Matt Zuccarello was on the flight with the Finns. He went from uh, uh, Norway to to Finland to uh, to fly back that way. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple more situations like this where um, are there enough Czech players to charter one flight? Probably not, but there are enough Czechs and maybe the Germans are close enough where you're like, hey, let's be smart about this. Let's So maybe, hope, and hopefully maybe this sets an example of, hey, let's be smarter about this. Let's do this. Um, the NHL does... Uh, the NHL is helping a little bit in the planning of this. of of the uh, The league is not, but the like team services guys and stuff like that are. If they've been, they, the players have been told, hey, if you need help figuring out the safest way, smartest way to do this, the league services guys have kind of been given a list and stuff like that too. So, um, I've given the Finns some credit for this. Yeah, as they should. Um, you hope that, and look. We've heard a lot about the NBA players talking about how they wouldn't enjoy being locked down in a bubble. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we just found out the dates yesterday for the first for the qualifying or the group stages of the MLS tournament. They're going to be in a bubble. Uh, Sean, the, I don't know if the NFL is going to be able to play this fall because of this issue, if this continues, unless they get into more of a lockdown state. Um, I think that the concept of being confined, albeit frustrating for the players to not have their normal lives, will at least allow them to play some competitive hockey games and have a semblance of a season. Otherwise, they wouldn't do that at all. So it's, it's easy for me to sit back and say, oh, you should do that you know, for all of us, for the greater good, because I'm not going into that. But I'd like to think that it's not like going into a prison cell. No, no, it's 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 not like going into a prison. I mean, there it's definitely there are. I if a player decides to opt out, I have no issue with that. No, that, that's something where I would I would I would have no issue with that. And um, so it's not like going into a prison cell. And I'm sure you'll have some baseball players who will who, who will opt out. Like that's been in, in, yes. in, when they talk about those bubbles. Uh, it is definitely going to be difficult for the. Um, the different age groups and families things make it very interesting because it is it is going to be more difficult for, for example, Ben Bishop to be away from his family than, like I know I've talked to Jason Dickinson about this. Jason Dickinson, and he really, so Jason Dickinson is the Stars NHLPA rep, Ben Bishop is their alternate rep, and Jason has told me how much he really enjoys having those two perspectives because Ben Bishop is has a family, he has two young children now who can give that perspective of, hey, I don't want to be away from my kids. Jason Dickinson, it's him and his girlfriend, and while he would miss his girlfriend during this, he doesn't have to worry about not seeing his kids or seeing kids or seeing offspring. For, it makes a big so, difference. And so it's, 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 I think this is going to be tougher for, this, this bubble would be, it's, it's tougher. The problem is, here's the biggest issue from kind of, you look around and you look about the athletes in general and, and Scott Burnside and I worked on a piece this past week where we talked to a bunch of NHL executives from all around the league. The problem is the guys who 
a lot of the guys who are in the demographic where the bubble won't be as bad for them because they won't be leaving kids and children, they're the ones that aren't being responsible enough right now Sure. while in phase two. And that's something we're seeing. That, that's something that people are, are worried about. Um, there's, as you saw in Scott and I's story, we talked to an Eastern Conference player who was, who was very worried, says he's been super careful, um, but he, he hates the idea that some of his teammates have been going out and he doesn't know, he, he, he's very scared of that. I've been careful and then all of a sudden someone else can mess, can mess this up for me and just walk into a locker room and get me sick. So it's the, the players, the NHL and the players, this play, there's a responsibility for the players to make sure this gets done. And this applies to hockey, this applies to basketball, this applies to every sport and I mean, you mentioned the NFL. The NFL is a whole other animal that we'll let other people discuss. But how do you... Oh, we got a dog. Hey, dog. This is how Guinness. Do we Guinness decided to jump into the Quarkast. Yeah. Hi, Guinness. How do you... And I'll let other people discuss the NFL, but just like the NFL bubble, I don't know how you keep an 85 or a 58-person bubble or 50, well, however big that bubble is. Usually it's a 53-man roster, but then yeah. you have all the support staff. Yeah. It's not going to be easy. Sean, we go back to that comment we had earlier about yeah. announcing possible positives i think phase three is going to be the most startling one because once they get to phase three where everybody's in contact with each other and then guys might have to be isolated from training camp and that's going to be a real issue and teams are going i don't think that it would be uh plausible to think that they'll have zero positive cases once training camps begin Uh, once you get to the bubble you hope that maybe you get things more confined and this is another reason to me that I don't like the NHL's policy that they've announced where we're just going to say, oh, 11 of 200. Right. To me, it's important where they are um, once we're in phase three. Phase two, okay, everyone's got different amount of size. But in phase three, if the NHL comes out, because we'll have uh, 24 times 30 is what, roughly? 600, 700 players. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So if we have 700 players and we co- they come out and say, hey, we have 100 positive, 100, 100, 100 positive cases out of 700, which would be a ton. I want to know if, say, 12 of those are with the New York Rangers. Like, I, I think that is important. Like, I think there is a, I think having which, which teams and where they are, I think that's important to be, to A, to not vilify the teams that are doing poorly, but also... Take advantage to, to set an example of what's going right as well. Like I think, I think I think that's another important thing here too of setting a good example of if the Dallas Stars go this entire time without a single player testing positive, probably won't happen. It's it's there's a lot of people look from all over the world. But if the Dallas Stars go this entire time without someone testing positive, I would like to know that, and I would like to say, okay, what did you guys do? And this is what we maybe maybe more teams should be doing this. Right? Like, why why did yeah. it work for you guys in this way, and how did you do it? For yep. sure. Um, the other thing is, so we're looking at a concern from the coaching side of it as well. Now, mm-hmm. your publication had a, an interesting piece. I think it was Pierre LeBron. I keep giving Pierre credit for it. But interview he wrote that one. Rick yeah. Bonus and Claude Julien and Mike Kitchen, who's an assistant coach in his 60s, Joel Quenville, um, Jacques Martin, uh, assistant with Pittsburgh, and a couple others. And they were talking about being concerned of being in that older demographic, which are considered to be a higher risk for not just getting COVID, but maybe having more 
negative symptoms or being more at a health risk there. Yeah. Rick Bonus was, was it was nice that he admitted that he was nervous about it because he I think that that kind of transparency we're talking about that with the Stephen Johns segment. It's important mm-hmm. to say not just be tough about it and not say anything. Yeah, it's okay to be. Hey, I don't want to get this. I don't at my age want yeah. to take that risk. Um, but at the same time, I want to be coaching. I want to be nearby. I think that it sounds like, Sean, that the NHL is going to work with all these guys. But, you know, wearing a mask is more about protecting everybody else than it is yourself. If you have a cloth face, face covering, yeah. it's to co- prevent the droplets from your mouth spreading to other people. Not so much because the droplets can get through your mask from others kind of thing. Yeah. So... In this instance, unless you have one like an N95 rated mask or something even heavier like a respirator, which is about protecting you and not anybody else because you're just spewing your stuff out. But I, yeah. I do think that they need to, and I think the league said they've been willing to, is to take precautions to make sure that their coaches, whatever age, are okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. And it's something that they have to think about. I mean, also, we have to think about the trainers and we have to think about the equipment staff and everything like in the, in the medical staff, all of them that are going to be handling this. So, and that, it all comes back to, I think, kind of, we can close this segment with this point, which we've kind of touched on, is it comes down to if you can be responsible, not if you can't, but you need to be responsible about this. You need to be responsible as possible. And that falls on a lot of the players, too, because they're the ones who are going to be in the most human contact, the most potential spread. And you're also, you're not just putting your teammates at risk. You're also putting, you're also putting the trainers at, at risk. You're putting yep. the coaches at risk. And, and this, while this may not have a, well, this is, this may feel like something where it's not going to impact someone who's 26 in the prime of their life at, at top physical shape. But you don't it, know that. And that's the, no, you don't know exactly. You don't, you don't, part. you don't, you don't, but I think right. that is also, that is kind of a sentiment that you sometimes get from people who are going out and things like that. Um, speaking of which, only 26 minutes till the bar is closed in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you were in my time zone, it would already be closed by a half an hour. Yes. Yeah. That's so, a good way to, uh, to put a pause for that. So if yeah. you were hoping to go uh, whitewater rafting or tubing in Texas, maybe uh, you'll have to postpone those plans a bit. But for the sake of being responsible, you have to be the mature side of it. Up next... Let's go through a lightning round. Lightning round time as we are back for the final segment of this episode. Uh, I don't know exactly the what goes on the next few weeks as we get closer and closer to uh, training camp and possibly the return, but we will have more Quarkasts from two different time zones, and uh, we'll keep that up. So make sure you keep getting those questions in. Sean, let's dive right into it today with our buddy Gallup Agus who wants us to sing... 
<laughs> our favorite song from an animated film and suggested it could be from any of the ones naming things like Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, Blue Sky, Sony. I don't want to sing. I mean, look, I don't even. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna sing. I'm not gonna sing. But I am going to. Uh, oh, we're gonna talk about songs. No, here I, I. I will let you just pick your favorite song. Okay, I'm, right. not, I'm not gonna sing. Because I mean, I could sing. You'll never walk alone. Yeah. But, but we don't need to hear me do that either, because that would just be rubbing it in. So, um, it's funny. I mean, there's so many good ones. Again, here I am punting again. One I do like is. Um, we were talking uh, as a family about the, I can't even remember who does it. Is it Pixar that does Moana or is that? Uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. They have some great songs in that. And there's one that's really funny, which is called, What Can I Say Except You're Welcome, which is yeah. actually done by The Rock. And uh, I brought this up. Speaking of that movie, speaking of that movie, I brought this up on Twitter a couple weeks earlier. Oh, I don't know, months ago. Who knows? At some point during the quarantine. What is a better song sung by a crustacean than "Shiny"? "Shiny" or "Under the Sea"? Because those are the only yeah. those are the only those are the only two entries. So, my wife gets "Shiny" stuck in her head a lot. She really loves that song, yeah. and I give Jermaine Clement a lot of credit because he's a great actor, musician. It's pretty pretty darn funny. Remember, he came Flight up to the Concords. Flight of the Concords fame of New Zealand, which, by the way, has done an exemplary job handling the pandemic. Yes, um, as a nation, but. I think, I remember when you posted that, I voted for Under the Sea because it is a classic, and how do you not go with Sebastian's? I have to go with that one, although Shiny's great. I went with Shiny, because I, and I think that, uh, I think Under the Sea won that vote because of nostalgia factor. Um, it's a great but, tune, and we listen to it forever. I mean, my sister and I watched yeah. The Little Mermaid a lot when we were young, so... Um, <laughs> By the way, there was somebody else that asked us a question last week about uh, non-Pixar Disney movies. Um, my favorite as a kid, and I liked a lot of them, was Robin yeah. Hood. I'm a huge Robin oh, that's a good Hood one. fan. Yeah. That, that one with the foxes and the other animals yeah, that's a good one. was the one I must have watched that a hundred times at least. Evie and I watched that. I watched that one with, with Evie a couple weeks ago, actually. That's because uh, it's it's on Disney Plus right now. That's so. right. I actually yeah. own it on Blu-ray. I've made sure because oh. we watched it on VHS when I was a kid. Yeah. And we had that yeah. a lot. We watched that and Aladdin and The Lion King, Little Mermaid, you name it. But um, yeah. yeah, I would pick Robin Hood for a question that hasn't been asked, but I give him that answer yeah. anyway. What about you? Yeah. Favorite non-Pixar animated film from childhood or now or both? Um. Well, when I was a kid, I would not say this is a favorite now. When I was a kid, I, I subjected my poor mother to rewatching Bambi over and over and over again. Uh, I haven't watched Bambi in a long time. I, I, I don't want to watch it right now at all. No? But I subjected my poor mother to, to watching it over and over and over again. Um, I, liked the jungle, I liked The Jungle Book a lot as a kid. Good movie. Um, I thought that one was really good. I, that that we, was one of my... We, that was up there. To show you my age, Sean, we actually had, when we were growing up, a series of Disney movies on cassette, like mm -hmm. audio cassettes, that we would play yeah. in the car. It would be like almost like what you would think of as an audible now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. we had these little like storybook, picture book, like, you know, read along with it. 
So it would be like the character voices talking about, it wasn't the full movie, it was sort of an abridged version. But the Jungle Book was one that we listened to a lot in the car. So if we had like a long road trip in my parents' old station wagon or something, we, you know, yeah. no air conditioning, it's long drive, but we'd be listening to these stories and they would sort of help pass it in. And nowadays people watch iPads and DVD players in the headrest. We didn't have any of that crap. Yeah. I remember there was one time when I was, uh, I, I took the one trip we took, um, I must have been like 13 or 14 and I took the, I took a TV that was like, yay, that was like probably like a 12 inch screen, but obviously it was a big, it was a big TV, right? right? And oh, it was huge. Uh, Our 13 inch it, TV was gigantic. Yeah. And I, I brought it. I brought it in the car with us, and I I, I used the I bungee corded to the back of a seat, and this was like a ten hour drive. And I remember <laughs> I put I put the uh, I brought my my original Xbox with me on this trip. My goodness! And it was it was so bulky and uncomfortable, and I am so looking back. I'm so surprised that my sisters at some point didn't like grab it and throw it out the window because <laughs> you, because I mean, of those t TVs were as wide and deep as they were long. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. It was it, it was terrible. So uh, anywho, <laughs> let's move to another question. Yes, please. Uh, Hannah says. Who has it worse when it comes to time zones, a North American soccer fan or a British hockey fan? And on a more serious serious question, aside from results, what are you most looking to see from the stars when, if, the play resumes? Ooh, okay, so two different ones. Um, North American football fan, soccer, has it very well. I oh, think. it's very good. I mean, it's, 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 it's tremendous. The, I love the... The lunchtime kickoff is the early game. Daytime right. sports, are, all sports should be played at noon. I mean, all sport, all sports should be played at noon. Put it this way: so, all of them. So <laughs> the the ones that in England they refer to as the lunchtime kickoff, which is the noon start, yeah, is a pretty early. It's six thirty Central Time, I think it is six or six. Mm -hmm. So so yeah. you DVR that one. It used to be you get up really early and watch it, and then you realize I can record this and watch it whenever I want. Yep. So the late game, the, the evening kickoff, it's like the primetime Monday night football time slot is what? Two? It's three yeah. o'clock here in the Eastern time zone. The games yesterday, the Man City versus Chelsea started at 3.15 Eastern time. Yeah. That is, and so we're, we're in, I actually think central time is even better for that because yeah. you get a two o'clock start and a Champions League game. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Best time zone for sports is Mountain Time, and it still fits in well there. Um, you just DVR the 5:30 starts, uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's much better for a uh, North American football fan than it is for a British hockey fan. British hockey fan, you're dealing with. Uh, we're talking middle uh, of the night. Middle of the night. Um, middle of the night. The one you basically you're hoping for the noon starts here, so it's nighttime there. Right. Um, Otherwise, like, you're watching it at what two in the morning, three a.m. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I don't even think that's much of a debate. No. So, uh, no. Hannah's question on the serious side, though, what are you looking from most looking from to see from the stars when and if play resumes? Um, let's let me phrase it this way, because obviously the simple question, the, the the easiest answer is you'd love to see them win games and, and win this whole thing, but. Let me let me rephrase this. Just modify Hannah's question, if I can. What do you need to see from the round robin games? Let's put it that way. I mean, because obviously, once we get, once we get into a playoff format, and you're looking. Oh, can they win? What what are you looking for to see from the round robin? Is it? I think is it, it wins. Is I it, think yeah. it's sharpness. It's yeah. it's play. Um, 
I'll use my Liverpool guys as a, uh, yeah. a sort of a comparison. They played Everton last week uh, on in the last weekend. It was their first game back. It looked like their first game in a while. At the beginning yeah. of a hockey season, you have to sort of sort of build your way up to the the level of play. You don't expect playoff hockey in your first couple games in October from a stylistic standpoint. Now, it can be wild, high-scoring games, yeah. but but you want to see Christmas. And I think that's what I'm most concerned about from the Stars' standpoint. You know, Liverpool had that game against Everton. Everton defended well. Neither team looked particularly technically sound. Then they played Crystal Palace on Wednesday and just shredded them. Or Tuesday it was. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What day is this? I think it was Tuesday. or Sorry, it was Wednesday they played them. And they looked like a team that had been playing for months. I want that to, from the exhibition and, and the qualifying round games. Whether or not the Stars win those games, it's more about are they playing the style that has gotten them there, right? Is their defensive game sound? Do, do their goaltenders look good? That's very important. And then are passes crisp? Are players up in the play? Are they staying connected? Are, how's the transition game looking? It's not so much whether or not they score more goals suddenly because, oh, they've, you know, they've had a, a, a rebirth of offense. But what I want to see is the speed of their game and whether or not things look crisp or not. Yeah. To me, I'm, I'm interested to see what Rick Bonus takes from having a training camp yeah. and see what tweaks there are. That's interesting to me. But the, the most fascinating thing to me from the round robin on a larger scale is I'm fascinated to see how goaltenders come back from this and how it works out. Because I think um, this is the, you have a, well, the stars, we know Ben Bishop will start game one. The other three teams, um, well, St. Louis, we know, we know Jordan Benning will start game one. But for Vegas and Colorado, you have a goalie competition going on of who's going to start game one. Yes. Is it going to be is it going to be Mark Andre Fleury? Is it going to be Robin Leonard for Vegas? Is it going to be uh, Pavel Francouz or um, why am I drawing Philip Grubauer? For Philip Grubauer for Colorado, um, you have a. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how goalies come back to this because I think how certain goalies some goalies are 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 fast starters. Some goalies are slower starters, and they need to get into things. And, and so I'm fascinated. I think we're going to learn a lot about that from this tournament. Uh, the Stars are lucky that Ben Bishop has always been a good starter. He's always been a quick starter. Yes. But, for example, I have not followed Robin Leonard's career long enough to know whether he or Marc-Andre Fleury would be ready right off the bat. I'm not sure who would be. And so uh, I'm fascinated to see that as a group from the yeah. round robin in those games the Stars are taking part in. Um, I also, just another quick, just kind of no series-wise, I am so excited to watch Edmonton and Chicago play 1980s-style hockey that is to 7-6 for five games. It will be fun, won't it? It'll, <laughs> like, be, it'll be so high-flying. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll be really yeah. fun. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's you don't know who's coming out of the gate because going into the playoffs in a normal season, you see which teams are trending in the right direction, which teams have been playing really well and which haven't. And then... You also see some surprises in that. Sean, I think it would be hard-pressed to expect that all the higher seeds in the qualifying round will go through. I just don't think it's going to happen, right? I don't don't think so. And so that means that you'll probably have a team that wasn't in the playoffs at the time of the stoppage that's going to make the first round, which is technically the playoffs, not the play-in round. Mm -hmm. I don't think that makes any less legitimate. Of a Stanley no, Cup. Because the thing is, is that you still have to play four rounds best of seven. 
whether or not the, how you got to the playoffs might be a little wonky compared to normal, yeah. but you are if you win the Stanley Cup, you have earned it. There's no, hey, this team's going to withdraw and you just waltz through a couple rounds. You're going to have to play a lot of hockey. It's going to be really grueling. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but that's what I say is that, you know, I think the NHL would love to see um, all the higher seeds win in the qualifying round just so they can say, see, look, you, you don't get to, to call the card of an asterisk because it messes with this team no. shouldn't even be there. For example, the Blackhawks or Montreal Canadiens, if they win their first round series, people are going to go, ooh, that's weird. They shouldn't be there. But come on. If they win four rounds after the qualifying round, they'll have deserved it. If, if the Chicago Blackhawks win 19 games where they have had to play the best seat available all yes. every single round, they've, they've earned the Stanley Cup. And not, that's, I don't that's, think they're going to. But if they no, do, I don't think they're. But, but there's no asterisk on that. So yeah. uh, that, that's it for our questions this week. I want oh, to we have one close. More. Oh, we do have one more. Sorry, yeah. one more. You're right. So Eugene one, writes in, you're Bob Ganey, yeah. and it's December 19th, 1995. Knowing what you know about now about player, both players' careers, do you complete the Neuendijk Aginla trade? Why or why not? So the, the Aginla Neuendijk trade is one of those great trades in NHL history where actually it was a win-win for both sides. It helped the Stars win a Stanley Cup. It gave the Calgary the face of the franchise, the face of the franchise who became one of the great who was going into the Hockey Hall of Fame now. Um, so I still make the trade if I'm Dallas. However, however, one of the key factors that if I'm Bob Ganey, knowing this and assuming no one else knows this too, here's the question: the question, the question is, does anyone else? If anyone else, I don't know if if if, if I'm Bob Ganey and I'm the only one with this with this knowledge, I am pushing them to take Todd Harvey, who they originally wanted. That right. is the if that, you knew it, that it, and you yes, could get that. Yes, but then again. That's not the question. The question is, would you still make that trade knowing that Jerome McGinley will eventually be a Hockey Hall of Famer? The thing is, is that Joe Neuendijk is a Hockey Hall of Famer, and mm-hmm. he is a huge part of why the Stars won the 99 Cup. And if he hadn't been hurt in 98, they might have had two Stanley Cups. I absolutely make that trade because if you could go to any GM and say, this move will get you a Stanley Cup, you take it. Period. Expect. Especially if I'm Bob Ganey too, because Bob Ganey's uh, Bob, G- Bob Ganey is a someone who you look at where he won his career. He was trying to, to win and get out. So not not get out, but he was t- toward the later stage of his management sure. career. For oh lack my of goodness! Better I mean, so. even if you were at the first year of your GM career and you knew yeah. that this piece would put you over the top, because many look many guys who have done great things in the GM role have never won a Stanley yeah. Cup. Tons of incredible players have had wonderful Hall of Fame careers yeah. and have never won. And that's Jerome McGinley never won a Stanley Cup. Right. And he was close on a I mean, couple of is, occasions. It's him and what him and Marcel Dion are the two probably greatest players to never win a Stanley Cup. I would think that's fair. Yeah. Let's uh, we're oh here we're gonna end we're gonna end today with I'm gonna give you 60 seconds Uh-oh. to talk about the 30 years between 1990, 1990 and 2020 if you'd like. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to uh, say anything you want about the so about wait, Liverpool. Wait, 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 60 to 30. No, six, no, 30 years. Oh, I said okay. 30, 30. Okay. I'm going to give you I'm going to let you close this this show with 60 seconds about Liverpool and if you want to play if you want to play you'll never walk along as the closeout song go ahead. Well, I was already planning on doing that. So it's funny <laughs> that you give me permission. I appreciate that. Um, I actually wasn't a fan of Liverpool in 1990. I was only 10 years old. 
So I actually didn't become a Liverpool fan until 1998. It was the summer of watching Michael Owen at the 98 World Cup as an 18-year-old playing for England in France, which was the second World Cup I was really aware of. I, 1990 in Italy, I really had no idea what was going on. But you get to 94, of course, in the United States, we all really paid attention to that. And then in 98... It was, hey, we're all, we all have soccer fever. I was playing college soccer for the first time in 98. And well, actually I was, I was going into being a college a freshman that year. And I had FIFA soccer games for the first time. So I actually had the FIFA World Cup edition of 98. Anyway, huge fan of Michael Owen in that tournament. He was my age, same hair color, same name. So of course it's a natural. And then found out he played club soccer for this team called Liverpool. And they were a pretty good team. They weren't the best team in England at the time, but they had a huge history. But they hadn't won the, the league title in eight years when I first started watching Liverpool. Who knew another 22 years tacked on to that before they'd do it again? And, Sean, you know this. 2014 was the heartbreaker because it was the year that they had the lead on Manchester City. In 2014, Brendan Rodgers was the manager. And it was the infamous Steven Gerrard slip against Chelsea. They lose that match. Man City then takes the lead by two points. And they held on in the last few games of the year to, to cling. Because that time, they were actually tied, Man City on goal differential. And then Liverpool, with a 3 nil lead against Crystal Palace, was trying to make up like an 11-goal differential gap. And Crystal Palace came back and tied it in 3-3. And those two drop points were the difference. Man City would have finished the year tied with Liverpool at 86 points, but with more goal differential. They would have won the league on that tiebreaker. Instead, they won 86 to 84, and it's insane. If you go back and look at that season, neither team lost a match other than that Chelsea match from like the beginning of the calendar year till the end. It was insane. So uh, huge for me. I know as a uh, as a lamenting Tottenham fan, that probably really frustrates you. Um, but I have had some Champions League success at your own team's expense and others. Yes. Uh, the 2005 Istanbul was unbelievable. But a full season, it's great. Now, Sean, here's the last part. Will Manchester City win its appeal for being banned from the Champions League for violating the FIFA Financial Fair Play initiative? Because I think if they lose this appeal and they are kept out of the Champions League, I think that the challenge to Liverpool next year will probably be Manchester United or Chelsea or maybe maybe Tottenham more than Man City. I think Man City falls down a bit if they, they lose Champions League soccer. Tottenham, just to my uh, Tottenham, as far as points goes, since the coaching change, Tottenham has had the third most points in the Premier League this season after Liverpool and Man City. Which is by, and, wild. And, and, it's, and it's behind Man City by only one point for points since the coaching change. Liverpool is obviously ahead by 10 or 15. So That's with uh, second-year Jose Marino is the, uh, <laughs> is, is the year you, you cherish. Right, so. because after that it goes downhill fast. Yes. So, so it's, are you looking forward to the next season that could start I, in a month or two? I, I look forward to 2020-21 uh, Jose Mourinho season, and then uh, <laughs> and then you uh, and, then, and, and then you take it for what it is. So, <laughs> goodness. Well, it's been an incredible run from the early days of me watching under then manager Gerard Houllier, the Rafa Benitez run, the Tom Hicks 
George Gillette years of ownership, the tie-in with the old Dallas Stars owner, which were nothing short of an absolute shambles uh, and almost put the club in administration, would have been just awful. And then to bring it back up with the push with Brendan Rodgers and Fenway Sports Group, and now Jurgen Klopp, who at the time, I didn't realize how lucky Liverpool were to get him as their manager. Now I can't see anybody else being in charge until Klopp retires and they go get Steven Gerrard to manage or something. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – you know what's funny, Sean? I was talking to my dad about this this morning when we found out – by the way, Kristen Pulisic, what a goal for uh, Chelsea against Man City yesterday. I, I don't know if it would be better – given the fact there's no fans in the States. It would have been great to see them clinch at Anfield with all the fans packed and the, the celebrations. Is it better to have beaten... Um, I mean, they, they crushed Crystal Palace 4-0 on Wednesday. It was great. But then they they actually clinched the title sitting at home watching Man City drop points. Would it have been better next Thursday to get points on Man City, whether a draw or a win, to actually clinch it? I mean, it's sort of slightly underwhelming or should I not care or I mean I guess the other the other thought and I will leave this at this and then we'll we'll go because we've already <laughs> uh, way past 60 seconds you you get the honor guard at Man City like isn't I know. that I isn't, know. isn't that isn't that the biggest slap in the uh, isn't that the biggest kind of slap in the face of you get the there's no there's no fans even here and you still get the the honor guard like I mean to me that yes. that that makes it uh that makes it something worthwhile. Because I'm not even a fan of doing that at the youth soccer games where the parents yeah. at the end put the yeah. and, and they go, oh, come on. But the kids love it. Yes, yeah. that is awesome. That might be worth all of it is to watch the Man City players give a tribute to the champions elect. Yeah. Yes, yep. that is great. Next Thursday, and you know I'll be watching. Yep. Well, thank so. you, everybody, for uh, sticking with us after our week off, our hiatus week. And uh, we will keep moving forward. As Sean and I said, we'll probably have a Hockey Hall of Fame discussion next week. We'll also see, Sean, because by this time next week, that draft lottery will have happened because it's tonight. The hub cities may be officially announced. And we'll be at next week's time about a week away from the start of Phase 3. When you walk through a storm Hold your head up high And don't be afraid of the dark At the end of a stone There's a golden sky And the sweet silver song